0: The Research and Practice for Adults podcast, supporting evidence-informed practice with adults and families. Hello and welcome to this uh, RIPFA podcast on Risks, Rights, Values and Ethics. I'm Lisa Smith, I'm the Assistant Director of RIPFA and I'm here with Lydia Guthrie who's recently written our latest frontline briefing, Risks, Rights, Values and Ethics. Hello Lydia.
1: ''Hi there, Lisa.'' Um, hi, my name is Lydia Guthrie, as Lisa just said. Um, I uh, Just a little bit of information about myself in case you're curious. Uh, I qualified as a social worker and then went into the probation service where I worked as a practitioner and as a manager. Um, I left the probation service in 2009 and since then I've worked independently as a trainer. Um, I also offer supervision and I write things um, and I'm delighted to be a RIP for associate. Um, I'm also in training as a family service therapist um, uh, and I have a real interest in supervision and in relationship based practice
0: and um, we're going to have a bit of a conversation today around kind of risks rights values and ethics and kind of what we bring um, to our to our practice and thinking particularly around that um, area of risk and in thinking about that for kind of RIPFA and our delivery programme, we wanted to build on sort of the work that we've done before that's been around very much risk enablement and kind of take it a step on. So thinking about kind of the stuff that we bring as, um, as individuals, as human beings. Um, did you want to say any more about that, Lydia? Thanks, Lisa. Um, yeah, uh...
1: so... When when we were first discussing this frontline briefing, um, one of the issues that really struck us was that whenever social workers or other social care professionals are involved in helping people to make decisions or supporting people to make decisions, there are always issues of moral complexity. Um, Sometimes we have a myth that Uh, Risk assessment or risk management can be a very scientific, very rational, logical process um, based on analyzing all the risks, putting them in a computer and coming up with the perfect solution. Um, But actually anybody who's worked in social care knows that that's a really inaccurate and oversimplified picture and, and not even a desirable one. Um, so when, whenever we're helping, we're working with people to support them to achieve their goals and, and, and live a meaningful life that has value to them. Then it's very, very likely that there will be issues of moral complexity. Um, what you know, uh, kind of uh, maybe su- uh, help supporting people to do things that might involve a possibility of a negative outcome, but trading that off because there's a bigger possibility of, of them gaining something that's really important to them. Um, and, and I guess what we really wanted to uh, help practitioners to think about was uh, how to have a framework for reflecting on the processes which occur within us as professionals when we're working with the adults who we are, are supporting um, to make decisions, in often in really difficult situations.
0: So that's really interesting that you were kind of yeah. say, saying that and I suppose when I'm thinking about um people working with risk and I think that you know if my my individual tolerance of risk in my own life mm. is relatively low and maybe I'm naturally risk averse does that yeah. play out in my interactions as a as a practitioner do I you know do I operate differently mm. from maybe the next person who's less risk averse and kind of is you know it, and maybe takes more risks in their own life and i'm kind of interested in that as a bit of a working hypothesis perhaps
1: yeah i i think i think the uh there's some there's definitely some value in thinking about that what what is as 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 people as as human beings in our own rights as practitioners what is our personal attitude to risk um and it the, the, there, might also, there might be a tendency for us to be more or less risk-averse ourselves in general terms, but yes. it's also really likely to vary between different themes. So somebody might be very risk-averse in their own life in relation to financial decisions, mm-hmm. but might be much more comfortable taking physical risks, so bungee jumping or parachute jumping or something like that. Um, so it's, I don't think it's, a, it's a, an either or, a binary thing. Um, it might really vary between different decisions. Mm. Um, and it might also be really affected by our own personal, ethical, spiritual or religious frameworks. Um, so some, there was um, a recent rip for Uh, briefing about supporting adults with learning disabilities to develop positive sexual relationships. Um, And one of the really interesting points I uh, read in that briefing um, was that there's good evidence that if people want to develop same-sex relationships, there are many more obstacles for them um, in terms of being supported by professionals than if they want to develop uh, heterosexual relationships.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and some of that might be about practitioners' own uncertainty or hesitancy or lack of confidence um, around issues to do with supporting people in um, homosexual relationships. Some of it might also be to do with um, homophobia, whether that's conscious or unconscious, um, in, not just in individuals but also within so- societal structures as well. Um, so so it's, it's likely to be really different, I think, on different themes. Yeah, and I suppose because one of
0: one of the quotes I really really like in the briefing is you've used that Anderson quote which yeah. talks about when I talk with others I partly talk with the others and I partly with myself. Yes, and that encapsulates the whole kind of really ni- really nicely and yes. kind of in my conversation. I'm probably talking a lot to myself. Do you want to explore that a little bit? Or?
1: Yeah, um, I, I'm I'm a big fan of that quote. It's Tom Anderson. He's a Norwegian, I think. Systemic therapist. Apologies if I've got that right, Tom. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, and. Um And I I really like this idea that whenever we are engaged in communication with another person or in thinking about another person's situation, our own internal conversations and inner processes will also have an impact. Um, Sometimes we have this myth around risk assessment or risk management that, that that we can be purely Uh, logical and rational. But um, I think it was Beck who said, actually, our our tools to calculate risks are really rusty. Mm. Um, So we have this set of imperfect, rusty tools, which I think is a nice idea. Uh, We kid ourselves if we think it's simple. Um, So it's, it's it's not ever possible to separate out our personal self from our professional self. And even if it was it's, it's, not, it's not necessarily desirable because we work in such a profound human arena that if we were to cut off completely from our personal selves, how would we access empathy? How would we access compassion? How would we access the relational skills and qualities that, that we need as social workers um, in order to work alongside people in a, in a truly mutual mm. way? So it's not necessarily possible or desirable. What what our duty is, what our professional duty is, is to become more aware of the influence of that inner conversation upon the way that we're thinking about people and the way that we're working with other people. Um, And and I think think there were some really nice ideas around about how we might do that. Kind of Patrick Casement, who's from the Tavistock. He's mm-hmm. the first person I came across who talked about it. He he talks about having an internal supervisor, was the phrase that he used, um, which is an idea that we can adopt this meta position of of hovering above um, the the, the uh, that we can simultaneously bear in mind two different perspectives: the perspective of the person we're working with and our own perspective. Um, and, and, and become more aware of the interaction between those two perspectives and, and the conversation that, that goes on between them. Um, I think in, in adult social care, um, in, in the briefing, those who are able to read it will see that, that I've added in a third element, which is the organizational culture. Because I yeah. think in adult social care, um, the the voice or the the, the drives coming from organisational culture um, are very, very strong. Casement um, was writing about psychotherapy, so it was a very different culture. And that
0: kind of echoes what Stephen Finlayson says as well, isn't yes. it, when he's talking about risk and he kind of talks about you know, whose who's risk is it that we're kind of taking care of? Because actually, is it is it just the organisational risk? Is everybody just operating to support and kind of, you know, to go with that organisational culture rather than... Put in the person right at the, the middle and when we've been speaking before you've That's given right. me this great quote about the, the magnetic pull of the person.
1: Yes this, this is a quote that, that it really it really struck me as helpful and I, I hope it's helpful to anybody who's listening that um, it came from I think a, a court of protection decision in 2017 mm-hmm. involving a young man with the initials MB and um, MB had, uh, there was a a debate around whether or not it would be beneficial for him to move into a residential placement for 12 weeks or so. And he'd expressed a very clear wish not to move into the placement. Um, He was was assessed as not having capacity to make that particular decision at that point in time. But, But nonetheless, the judge said that MB's own expressed goals, preferences, and wishes ought to be what he termed the magnetic factor around mm. which all other factors needed to arrange themselves. So I really like that, that kind of metaphor, that visual metaphor, that the, the, the goals, wishes, preferences, value base of, of the person we're supporting needs to act needs to be at the very center um, and all the other factors a bit like iron filings you know, yeah, need, yeah. To, <laughs> need to be pulled in towards yeah. that magnet and arrange themselves around it um, and I love that idea as, mm-hmm. as, a, as a way of remembering um, to check with ourselves what are we putting at the center here yeah um, and and that the, you know are we are we are we truly, can we truly say that we've put the values, goals, wishes, identity, needs, preferences um, of the person we're working with at the center in, as that magnetic factor? Yeah. Um, and I think that can really help us in, in, in times of real uncertainty um, and, and a lack of clarity and, and um, often high emotion. I think ideas like that can really, really help to act as a check, um, yeah. as, as a bit of a compass. Around which we can arrange everything else, um, and to check that we're not putting the organisation's need—sorry, the organisation's needs—at the, needs the centre, because um, it, there can be a lot of pressure to do that.
0: yeah so I, in, in, in my head, I'm envisaging it more of a sort of a vortex. that's kind of stuff is <laughs> kind of sucking in, and just making sure that the organisation doesn't kind of pull in there in a wizard of Oz kind of a way.
1: Yes, yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's a nice idea. Yeah. <laughs> An organizational tornado. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yes. Um yeah, so I I think that really that also in my mind makes me think about a paper written by Tony Stanley. Mm-hmm. Um, who He wrote the paper based on his experience of uh, working in Tower Hamlets, I think it was, um, and uh, trying to move the, the um, adult social care much more towards um, a position of, uh, uh, of supporting positive risk-taking um, and uh, supporting uh, adults uh moving away from the kind of service land or service led provision um and 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 he he writes really uh explicitly about uh the need to put ethics and values at the heart of decision making mm-hmm. I think it came about with the implementation of the care Act and making safeguarding personal yeah. Um, And the idea that organizational culture needs to shift in order to support this um, enablement approach and positive risk-taking approach that's so uh, outlined in the CARE Act and making safeguarding personal. Um, And he talks really, really explicitly in that article about the need for the organization to be very clear that they expect practitioners to work in this way and, crucially, will support them to do so.
0: Yeah, and that that sort of organisational stuff kind of really interests me. Um, Mm. And and we don't have two cultures in an organisation. Mm. I remember when um, it was Birmingham Children's Hospital, when they got their outstanding for CQC. And I was listening to the interview with the clinical director on the radio, (coughs) and she talked very, very clearly about the idea that you don't have two cultures within organizations so yep. if they treat their staff with compassion and care as it was in you know mm. in that context that actually their staff would operate in that way with the people that they were work- working yes. with and it's the same if an organization doesn't support a model um ex- you know excellent mm. kind of practice around working with risk and kind of understanding that then you know practitioners naturally that's not going to f- fall out so there's something about how the organization and the culture really supports yeah. that was fundamental
1: yeah that, i i think that's so true the these ideas of parallel process
0: yeah. that,
1: that the way that an organization engages with its staff is highly likely to be mirrored um, and to have a big impact on the way that staff engage with the pe- the families and the individuals they work with yeah
0: um
1: it's 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 a, a very powerful idea i think um the, uh, i think also we need to we need to think about organizations attitudes to things going wrong or to there yeah. being a, 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 an outcome where there's harm um even the phrase that i use there things going wrong is kind of interesting. I'm pulling myself up on Mm. using that phrase because if an adult is supported to take a positive risk in the full knowledge that there may be a positive outcome but there is also a likelihood of harm and the harm occurs, is that necessarily an example of something having gone wrong? If the decision-making process was was fully supported and done in in a mindful way, but, yeah. but the, the, we were
0: doing a, a workshop at um, a conference for the Housing Lynn, and mm, our, our workshop yeah. was on um, working with risk, mm. and I got pulled up on exactly that, yeah. because we'd, we'd put on our slides, um, you know, and what happens when it goes wrong, and, yes. and a delegate challenged, and said, well, yeah. it's, it's not that it's gone wrong, because actually... An, and that, so how, how embedded in yeah. us is it that yeah. working with risk is all about eliminating risk? Even when we're yeah. talking about risk enablement, yeah. because it's a there's a there's a probability that 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 risk may occur, and that doesn't mean it's gone wrong. It means that that thing has happened. Yes, we...
1: and absolutely, yes. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean that the decision to try it was a wrong decision. No, exactly, um, because we're working with adults. Um, who have a human right to express their preferences. Um, and, and I can certainly think of parallels in my own life, You know, where we, we, in full consciousness, adopt a course of action, knowing that there's a range of different outcomes. Mm-hmm. If, 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 if the un, more undesirable outcomes occur, does that necessarily mean it was a wrong decision? Because I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't taken that course of action. You know, um i i might I, i've have got a f- slightly flat tire on my car at the moment and so every time i get in it and decide to drive it without taking it to the garage and getting a new getting a new tire put on i'm i'm consciously taking a risk that yeah. there's a possibility i'll get to my destination okay but there's also a possibility that i'll end up by the side of the road <laughs> waiting for the aa to come um other car breakdown services are available, available yep. <laughs> <laughs> um but you know but it might still be the right decision for me to be doing that because yeah. i've you know because it, it's a big investment of time and money to go and get the tire fixed um and and the people we work alongside in adult social care have just the same right to make those kinds of calculations as, as everybody else um without someone coming along and saying you know you should you shouldn't be doing that, or you can't do that, or the fact that that thing happened is good evidence why you're not able to make those decisions for yourself anymore. Yeah. Um, we, I think in adult social care, we, there's an, a discussion that we need to have is around how we support people when, when a negative outcome happens. Um, there's a really nice article by uh, a writer called Sikora from 2017 where he writes about shame,
0: Mm.
1: Shame within social care. So, if there, if if a negative outcome occurs, often the organisational response can be very bureaucratic. It might be a a, 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 a big organisational review, a big report. That kind of thing, and 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 there are very infamous examples where those kinds of reports were, were were really important. I'm thinking of Winterbourne View, for example, mm-hmm. or the death of uh, Connor Sparrowhawk in in Oxfordshire, an, an adult with a learning disability. Um, and, and 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 it's absolutely right that that those kinds of negative outcomes, where there was professional negligence, are fully investigated and learnt from. Um, but I think there's also space for, other, uh, for for a less shaming approach within organizations um, when, when there is uh, a negative outcome. Mm.
0: Um,
1: a, a more of an acceptance that, that making de- supporting people to make decisions about risk doesn't mean everybody's safe 100% no. of the time because that's not possible or desirable. Um, so, so when there is a harmful outcome, we adopting a, a learning approach where we learn from it rather than um, rather than blame and shame individuals um, and adopt more restrictive practices.
0: Yeah, and I think there's something there about you know every every organisation will say it's a learning organisation. Yeah. And if you're kind of working in health and and if you're applying like the framework of clinical governance to mm-hmm. practice, that's one of the pillars yeah. of being a learning organisation. But do are, are we? Yeah, it's, in, a, it's
1: in, a good in, question. There's, there's a, that's a whole other podcast there. It is a whole other podcast. <laughs> um, it's it's making me think about a, a really nice study that um, Rebecca Hawkins led in 2017 about physical mobility in older adults living in residential homes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the the kind of the title is if they don't use it, they lose it um and And she and her team uh, did about four hundred hours of observations in four different care homes, plus some interviews with staff yeah. and and What came out of this uh, study um, was a finding that the organization's attitude to risk taking in practice had a big impact on the extent to which the adults living in the care homes were supported to to keep keep their independent mobility Um, so for example in 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 one care home um, the staff very actively balanced the tension between Mm -hmm. encouraging residents to remain mobile um, by supporting them to use whatever equipment was necessary to make their own way from their bedrooms to the dining room or the living room wherever they wanted to go Um, even if it took a bit longer and even if there was a risk of falling. Mm. Um, And the reason the staff felt safe to do that and felt motivated to do that was that it came from the top. It was the very clear statement and practice of the management of that home that this is how we do things here. Um, but in another in another care home, uh, the staff are observed to discourage the residents from walking themselves and instead mm. encourage them to wait to be helped into a wheelchair um, and pushed uh, to the destination and, and Of course that that makes it far, that makes it arguably makes it less likely that somebody might fall but but it also increases the likelihood that they might lose their mobility and their yeah. confidence, and once lost it 's really hard to get it back. Um, And, and again, in that care home, there were the same policy statements about, in this home we support all our residents to maintain their their mobility, but it wasn't put into practice on the ground Mm -hmm. by managers and supervisors in the same way. So there was a difference between the the state, you know, the policies and the culture. Um, And and I I found that a really interesting example um, of, uh, of how organizations kind of live their policies so those those examples they're in they're are they in
0: the briefing they are yeah they are i thought that brings us nicely back to the to the paper and there was sort of talking about that research there's another really nice study that you've used in that briefing which was the um the harry ferguson work yes Can you tell us a bit about
1: that yeah um uh, Harry Ferguson uh, did a, a, a study in, uh, he wrote, he published the paper in, uh, in 20, 2018, um, and it's open access, so hu- hooray for that, so en- anyone can access it, uh, it's called How Social Workers Reflect in Action and When and Why They Don't. And so you should be able to find it. Um, and um, it's set in children's services, but but I think um, I'm really confident that there's a lot of parallels with adult services um, about reflective processes. Um, and what Harry Ferguson and his team did was, was to um, accompany social workers on home visits. Um, to families they were working with, observe the home visits, um, and then, usually in the car on the way to the next destination or on the way back to the office, um, the researchers would speak with the social workers about their their experience of the conversations they 'd just had, asking questions about were you reflecting um, what were your aims, um, what was it like for you um, and and what Harry Ferguson found was was that some some, um, some social workers were, were really reflective and were able to outline what their intention was, how they'd experienced the home visits, the thoughts and feelings that they'd had in the moment. Um, other social workers found that a lot harder to put into language and to articulate to the researchers. Um, but some, some social workers were also able to describe how they were limiting their reflection in order to protect themselves Mm. from really strong emotions um, that were arising in the moment. Um, Because uh, it's kind of like splitting it off and putting it in a little box because it's too much to deal with in the here and now. Um, If I let that affect me, I won't be able to do my job. So I have to put it in a little box Um, maybe the fear that I have or my concern for this child or my strong reaction to aspects of the home or aspects of this family's culture, whatever it might be, that that I'm going to put it in a little box um, and and deal with it later. Um, And Harry Ferguson concludes that, 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 that process can be helpful, that kind of splitting process mm. um, to defend the self um, in, in the moment can be quite helpful and protective, but it's dangerous if it becomes habitual and if, if the individual stops being aware that it's happening. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: and, and also if they never go back and open the box. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's really an, an argument for supporting staff, um, individual workers, uh, to, to, to offering them a sense of safety and containment, often through supervision, um, in order to open the box in a, in a safe, containing mm. relationship, um, uh, to, to avoid psychological harm and psychological impact, and to avoid them becoming too split off or too separate um, from the people they're working with. Um, so uh, a really nice study, very, very um, based on observation um, yeah. of, of, of current social work practice. Uh, and a real invitation there to all social workers and managers as well to consider how they use reflective processes um, and are they sufficiently supported as individuals and as teams um, to, to, uh, to, to open that box uh, in a safe place.
0: It's almost like all all roads lead back to supervision. <laughs> yeah. <and reflection. laughs> yeah, <I think laughs> whatever I the topic they always
1: yeah. seem
0: to. And I suppose like there's a lot to be said for that, You know, it and, and underpins it all.
1: Yeah, yeah, there is a lot to be said for that. Um because because of the nature of the work. I mean I, in preparing this frontline briefing, um, I spent quite a quite a lot of time reading court judgments. Mm. Um and I was Some of them were, well, all of them were profoundly moving. Um, They all involved situations where individuals were uh, facing oppression, uh, facing disadvantage because of issues to do with age or disability or um, lack of social support um, or discrimination because of some quality of themselves, uh, race, gender, sexuality, for example, age, Uh, a mental health diagnosis Um, and and you know professionals don't get involved unless there are issues of potential harm issues of potential loss Um, so so all of our work is is hugely evocative um, and raises powerful and can raise powerful emotion both for the people we're working with and their families and for us as individuals Mm. Um, and and if we don't if we don't pay sufficient attention to that, then it can have negative impact on the way that we work. We can become too defended and think that actually we need strict, rational, organizational processes to somehow computerize decision-making, and that will protect us from this, this kind of harmful emotion stuff. Yeah. Um, or, we can become, or we can become overwhelmed with it. Um, and 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 we can see high rates of burnout and and high rates of of psychological negative psychological impact on staff. Um, neither of which are good outcomes. Yeah. No, so I would I would agree. really agree with you that we we need to spend more time articulating and and supporting individual practitioners and managers to articulate why there's a need for supervision and, and protected reflection time. It's sometimes seen as a as a kind of luxurious add-on. Yeah. Um. You know. But but I would argue it's 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 absolutely critical. Um. To to to, to staying healthy in ourselves and also to continue to practice in healthy ways with, with the adults we're working alongside.
0: And that's a kind of a, maybe a a good note to, to leave this on and like practicing in, in healthy ways. Yeah. When when we're able to do that, then we can manage and understand our sort of our own individual values and ethics and how, and how they play out. Mm. um, and then thinking, just to to wrap it up and to yes. close for people, what what what
1: would our message be? <laughs> I, I think in the in the frontline briefing, um, I've I, I've kind of proposed a model um, which which helps us to consider the the different parts of ourselves. Mm-hmm. So, ourselves as a professional, what's my professional duty here? Um, a, a huge part of which is uh, the the priority question of supporting the person you're working with to to exercise their human rights and to maintain their identity and to live a life that has meaning for them. So, how, how can I how can I maintain my professional self, myself as a person with my own unique set of experiences and values, qualities? Um, and myself in relation to my organization. So my organization's expectations of me and my organization's processes and policies. How can I maintain a healthy balance between all those three aspects of myself?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, How can I have a kind of a a meta conversation that that acknowledges all three of those aspects of myself as, as really important? Um, so, so I guess my that would be my encouragement to to people to to have confidence in advocating for, for our needs as practitioners. Um, it not in terms of uh, our psychological well-being. Uh, it's not a luxurious add-on. Um, it's it's an essential part of maintaining personal and professional psychological health. Um, and and the, the a kind of, it isn't isn't a a nice add-on. It will contribute absolutely directly to positive outcomes for the people we're working with um, and and their families. Um, Because if, if we're more, if we as individuals are more able to articulate the challenges we face, the emotional challenges we face, we're more able to engage in a truly mutual and collaborative way, using, building and then using good professional relationships um, with the people we're working with in order to support them to live a life that has meaning for them. Thank you. Yes, thank you. That feels like a, a great place to end it.
0: Um, I hope people have enjoyed listening and if you can, um, go away and read the, read the frontline briefing.
1: Yes, and we hope, we hope that our conversation is, is useful to people and encouraging. Um, I think sometimes we can, we can feel ashamed of or, or that it's a bad thing to say that, that social work is... Is a role that is emotionally complex, mm. um, as, as well as all the other kinds of ranges of complexity. Um, but but I think I would I would really encourage people to not to be ashamed to say that, and, and to, to um, embrace conversations with colleagues and within teams um, about the really complex dilemmas that that we uh, that we that we become part of in, in the work that we're doing.
0: You've been listening to the research and practice for adults podcast and we hope you enjoyed it why not share with your colleagues and share your thoughts on twitter tweet us at ripfa thanks for listening